So we will continue with the section where we find Sri Ramakrishna is having conversation with Ishwar Chandra Vidyasagar. So the portion which we were studying in the last class, let us just start from there. Sri Ramakrishna, as he, he was continuing his conversation with Vidyasagar, so we will find what he's saying to Vidyasagar. Can one know God? through reasoning, be his servant, surrender yourself to him, and then pray to him. So, this is a, a very, very pertinent idea in our spiritual life. That surrendering, it's not trying to clinch unto God, but rather to surrender to God. In our scriptures, they speak of two types of Nyaya. One is Markat Nyaya and another is Marjar Nyaya. Markat means monkey. Marjar is the kitten, the cat's young one, the kitten. So they say that when the young monkey, the child monkey, the small monkey, the baby monkey, when it is jumping from tree, it, it cannot jump. It is holding unto the mother. And when the mother is jumping from tree to tree, it is the baby monkey which holds unto the mother. If by chance the baby monkey loses its hold, it is bound to fall and it can be fatal. But marjar, the marjar means the cat, the kitten. The kitten will be just simply lying the mother cat will come and wherever she feels it's safe, she will hold the kitten by her neck. She will just grab the kitten by the neck and take her and take this kitten wherever she feels. It may be sometimes in a very nice place, sometimes near some rubbish. She knows very well that where the kitten will be safe. The kitten just goes on calling on the mother and the mother takes care of her it is she who is holding her and carrying her. So they say that the chance of the kitten to fall off is not there because mother is holding her. So that speaks of the surrender. So we need not clasp unto the divine. This is a very, very pertinent idea, very, very subtle, subtle idea in our spiritual journey. You know that we are clasping to this world if we consider this world as a tree, we, what we are doing, we are holding onto the branches of the tree of samsara. All the desires are the branches we are holding onto it. Now, when you are on a, when you have, when you have climbed up a tree and you are holding onto the branch, to fall, do you need any effort? There is no need for any effort to fall. You just have to let loose. You have to just loosen your grip on the branch and the gravity pulls you down automatically. You, there is no need of any effort. Similarly in spiritual life, the grace of the divine is always working. It is we who are clinging to the samsara, which doesn't allow the grace to pull us up. Just the way the gravity pulls us down, 
the grace as it pulls us up to our spiritual domain. That's why in Bhagavad Gita, the 15th chapter, they speak of Urdhva Mula Avakshaka. The spiritual tree is inverted, where the roots are up, the spiritual domain is up, the branches are below. We are holding onto the branches. The grace can pull us up if we simply lose the, listen the hold. That is the idea of surrender. The grace will take us up. It's, but at present, what we are doing, that we are tired with the sunset pleasures of life. We thought of enjoying the world. At last we find it is a world which is enjoying us. It's just like a bee which wanted to suck the honey, sat on the honey and its wing got stuck on the honey. Now it cannot fly. That's what our condition is like. That vayam eva bhunta. This we, we came to enjoy, but we are being enjoyed. And from that exhaustion, desperation, we want to leave the hold of the world and cling unto the divine. It is something like we nomenclature another branch of the tree as God. The, the present branch in which I am clinging, most probably it has insects, it has bugs, it is disturbing me. So I cannot bear with it. So I leave the hold of that and hold unto another branch called God. Still I am in that samsara. It in no way enters in spiritual realization. We can understand this even in our life, that how clinching doesn't help. It's always the surrender which helps us to have that let go sensation, taking us to a short of spiritual realization and ecstasy. The common example, those who practice spirituality, those who practice meditation, they can easily relate to these words, what I'm going to say now. Suppose you are a very sincere practitioner. Regularly you meditate. Regularly you do japa. But you find no test. You go on doing it. It sometimes becomes very mechanical. And suddenly one day, with so much resolution, I sit for meditation that today most probably my mind will be calm and I will enjoy the tranquility, the peace, the ineffable joy which comes from that tranquility. Nothing happens. And one day just because it has become my habit, without any such resolution, I sit for meditation and suddenly I feel that the subtle ineffable joy is emanating from, with, from within me, is welling up from within me. And then suddenly I feel the, my, my play is done, my game is done. Now I'm established. Now every day when I sit for meditation, I'm going to have that bliss. And the very next day you find the bliss has gone. And you don't know when again it will come. It is constantly as if playing hide and seek with us. Why it happens? So when habitually I sit for meditation without expectation, that day even unknowingly a type of surrender came. Sense of surrender. With a sense of surrender that let go and shoot. And that resulted the grace to work on you it resulted in that bliss. The moment you ha had that little bliss, immediately the expectation comes back. I want this. I want this. And now it is going to be with me. And that expectation again takes away. No more bliss. And again, when it will come, again, when that out of exhaustion, that again, that uh, let go will ensue, that surrender will come, I don't know. Again, a little bliss may come. We don't know how long this hide and seek will go on. That's why Sri Ramakrishna used to say a very nice story. And it is a simile that a bird was sitting on the mast of a ship. And the ship was in the deep waters of the ocean. Suddenly the bird felt like going to the shore. It started flying towards the east. It couldn't find any shore. It came back sat on the mast for some time, relaxed a bit. And then again, it went to the west. Again, it found no shore. Came and again, relaxed a bit, it was exhausted. Then went to the north, the south, all the directions, found no land anywhere. At last it came and sat on the mast. 
with the full resignation. Let the sheep take me where it takes. So what's, that's the idea, that surrender. All the yogas, which has been spoken of in the Bhagavad Gita, very interesting. Sri Krishna is speaking of all the yogas in the initial chapters. As you proceed to the last chapter, the 18th chapter, there he is speaking of this Sharanagati, Mamekam Sharanang Praja, Sarvadharman Parityajya, that live off all sorts of dharma, the do's, don'ts, the religion, and surrender to me. Aham Tvam Sarva Papebhya Mokshayishvami Mahasaya. Know it for certain that I am going to cleanse you and take you to that domain of realization. He could have told at the very beginning, what was the need for all those yogas? Those yogas are like the bird flying in the east and west and north and south to get at last exhausted. And then only that surrender comes. Unless you have exhausted yourself with all your energy, the surrender is never going to come. It will be just be a lip word. It will be a lip service. It won't have any as such inner filling with it. You're just saying something. It is just an advertisement. For us, most of the spiritual life becomes an advertisement. We're just saying something. We don't mean what actually we are saying. We don't even realize what we are saying. It has to come through this. So that way all the yogas do have a place. We do have to exert, exhaust ourselves with all our energies. And then only that let go is bound to come. Not before that. That's why uh, colloquially they say the word kripa means, kri means, the kri dhatu means to do something, action. That's karma. Kri actually uh, signifies karma. And pa means to get something. In Bengali, pa, they say kri is, means to do something, to koro. Means in Bengali, they say koro means to do something. Pa means power. Then you get something. First, you have to exhaust yourself with all your energy. And then that surrender will come. And then you know it for certain. The realization, which is like when just the way, there's that example which we gave. When you leave the hold, the gravity pulls you down. Similarly, when you leave the hold of the sansara, the grace is bound to pull you up. Because the inner self is always trying to again get identified in its own with its own nature. It's always that call is there. Just that hold to this sansara is not allowing us to get identified with our real nature. The moment we can release that, it takes us to that realization. So that's why now, again, let us learn these words. These two lines, you'll find so pertinent meanings are there within it. Can one know God through reasoning? We think that by intellectually, by going on reasoning with all my effort, I will know God. So be his servant. Surrender yourself to him and then pray to him. So that's the idea. So you will find very interesting this, the gravity and the word guru has some resemblance. Etymological meaning, we will find same. How? Gravity speaks of the weight of a thing. The anything, the, it is the mass into the, this gravitation that gives the weight of the thing. So it is the gravity gives the weight, the weight, which is pulling down. And the word guru in Sanskrit means the spiritual preceptor, the spiritual teacher, and it also means weight. Anything heavy means guru. So just see, just the way the gravity is, is always pulling us down, the grace of the Guru is always pulling us up. Lord is the ultimate Guru who is always, His grace is working on us. We just have to release the hold onto the samsara. The grace is bound to work on us. Sri Ramakrishna has used to say that when unless you have uh, released the, uh, what you say, the uh, the furl of the ship, it won't catch the wind. So the, it, the wind can, it, it can catch the wind only when you have released the furl of the ship and then only it will catch the wind. So that is the Purushakara. Do your part. The rest God will do. Just, he used to say that you go towards God one step, he will come running 16 steps. That little 
uh, what you say that effort from our side is very important. And then that surrender comes and that will take us to the realization. Now to Vidya Sagar, Sri Ramakrishna is asking with a smile, well, what is your attitude? Vidya Sagar smiling, someday I shall confide it to you. So he just didn't want to talk uh, just uh, in front of all. So someday I shall confide it to you. All laugh, master laughing. God cannot be realized through mere scholarly reasoning. On the same lines he is speaking. And now, intoxicated with divine love, the master started singing. What he sang? That it's a Bengali Ram Prasad song. It has been translated. So I'm reading the translation. It's a very, very, uh, uh, the song itself is very profound. It has a very uh, high spiritual intonations. We will try to understand as we go through the words of the song. Who is there that can understand what Mother Kali is? Even the six darshanas are powerless to reveal her. So this Shara Darshana, that we speak of the six darshanas in our Hindu tradition. So these six darshanas, uh, the Vaiseshika, the Sankhya, Yoga, Vedanta, Purva, Vimangsha, uh, Vaisheshika Nyaya, uh, Sankha Yoga, and Purva Mimamsa, Uttara Mimamsa is the Vedanta. These are the six darshanas. The six darshanas, the word darshana is very interesting. It speaks of perspective. With certain perspective, darshana, to see, I am trying to find out the truth from a particular, your mental orientation. It, is, it doesn't speak of the ultimate realization. As a result, it has to be limited. To give a common example, just take a building. If you take a photograph of the same, of the same building from the east, another from the west, another from the north, another from the south, all the four will be different. It's not the same uh, photo you will get, but it is a photo of the same house. So this speaks of the perspective. So these darshanas, with the darshanas, I can never know the truth. As Sri Ramakrishna used to uh, give a wonderful simile that the five blind men, they were asked to find out that what an elephant actually is. So one blind man went and touched its trunk and told it is like a very thick rope. Someone touched its uh, leg and told it is like a pillar. Someone touched its belly and told it's like a cauldron. Someone touched its ears and it shows it's like a, a blow, this what you say, like a fan, this bellow. So you see that all, as they're all blind with the touch, whatever they could relate, that's what they're saying. It's none of them are wrong, but again, none of them know the thing in entirety. It is just a particular aspect of it, which they know because of the limitation. So our limitation is as long as we have to have paroksha anubhuti. These words are so important. Paroksha, aparoksha. In Sanskrit, aparoksha means, anu, aparoksha anubhuti means aparoksha. Anubhuti, any realization without the help of something. When I see a flower, you may say, what I'm, I'm not taking the, any help. My eyes are quiet, okay, I see it. Maybe you are wearing the specs, you need specs. I don't need specs. So it is, how can you say it is paroksha? So here Vedanta says that you are seeing through the mind and the senses. They are the instruments. That's why it is paroksha. There is a state beyond the mind and beyond the senses. We may feel that there cannot be any existence. We at last identify our existence with the mind. We can never think that there is something beyond the mind. Aparoksha. So as long as we have to see through the mind and the senses, the mind and the centers becomes a filtering factor. It restricts our vision. And that's the reason for which we find that in various ways, we are trying to find out the truth from our limited perspective. And that way we can never know the ultimate truth. It can be known only by transcending the mind. 
Otherwise, it is impossible. And when you transcend the mind, though you realize it, but you can never express it because it is beyond attributes. It is the ultimate subject. The subject can never be known. If you know the subject, it becomes an object. So you can be one with it, but you can never know it. As Swami Vivekananda, once when he was in the West, he was meditating in his room. Thus, the host's son, he was a very small boy. He never knew what meditation is. He saw Swami sitting. He simply crept into the room and came and sat on his lap. Now, naturally, Swamiji's meditation, uh, he, he came out from his meditation and seeing the child in his lap, he smiled. And the child immediately just asked Swamiji a very, very, very simple question, but very, very, that's a very, uh, what is the question which, which even if anyone asks us, we cannot answer. What the simple question is that whether God is, does do God exist? Swami Vivekananda with a smile patting the child told, yes, my son, there is God. Whether God is, there is God. And the next question the child asked is, then why don't I see him if he is? And Swamiji immediately replied, well, do you see your eyes? With eyes, I see everything. Do you see your eyes? So that was his reply. That's the same thing from the scripture. Idea is the subject can never be known. So in Drik Drishya Viveka, it starts with this idea that when I'm seeing the world, I see with the eyes. I, with the eyes, I see everything, but I cannot see the eye itself. Then what I see with the eye, who is perceiving then? The mind. With the mind, I see what all is being perceived by the eyes, but the mind itself cannot see itself. Who sees the things of the mind? Behind that, the witness consciousness. So that way it starts. The, then what is that witness consciousness? That can, you can be one with it, but you can never know it. The moment you know it, someone must be behind that to witness. Witness that. And it will lead to ad infinitum. So this, just see this first two lines speak so much of the Vedanta philosophy. Who is there that can understand what Mother Kali is. Even the six darshanas are powerless to reveal her. It is she, the scriptures say, that is the inner self of the yogi who in self discovers all his joy. So as we were saying that we can dive within. How that? By stopping the vagaries of the mind. So this Self is something which is Sat Chit Ananda. It is, it's Sat means that which can never be annihilated, which always is there. Chit, that something is again not something Jada, is not inert. It is consciousness. I know I am. The only thing which is lacking, though I know I am, always I know. The thing which is lacking is I am not happy. When my desire gets fulfilled, I'm happy for the time being. Again, the happiness is gone. Why it happens? Because we think that all our desires when it gets fulfilled gives happiness, gives joy. But it's never the case. The real joy comes from within. When my desire is fulfilled, the vagaries of the mind, which are like the waves, that gets Settle for some time. That becomes calm. The lake of the mind becomes calm. As long as the waves of the mind are there, they obstruct the joy which is always emanating from yourself. The moment that an intense desire is fulfilled for the time being a let go and shoes, the mind is calm. The joy is coming from within. But we mistake by thinking the joy is coming from outside. And as a result, what happens? Again, we venture out. A thing we get when uh, we were just a, a young student, we thought, yeah, a small house, when I get a job, a small house will do. What is the need with a big house? You just see those who are all seniors, you will know that how your desires constantly went on changing. When that you have a house, you want a bigger one, you have a car model, you want a better car model, it never ends. We think that we will be satisfied if I get this. Again, you will find. 
that some new desire is cropping up. Why? That the joy, that the tintillations that we need for, uh, for the life to go on. Why it happens? Because of that ignorance. Because we always equate the joy with something external. We forget. Actually, the joy was because of the desirelessness. The moment my desire was fulfilled, I was desireless for some time. The mind became calm. The joy came from within, which is the self, the inner self. All the happiness, if a, if a, if a criminal is getting a happiness because of the crime, whatever crime he may do, he's actually experiencing the same divine bliss. Only thing, he's getting the correct thing in the wrong way. He's not going to have it for eternally. It will break. It is going to interrupt. The next moment he will find himself in the jail. The way he has actually chosen to get the joy, he cannot in any way pursue it. That's what actually all the so-called evil is nothing. That's why Swamiji used to say, in this world there is no good and bad. Everything is good. It is only that it, difference is not in kind. It is in the, what you say that uh, degree, not in kind. That lower degree of happiness is all bad because it won't allow you to continue with that happiness. Is You have to depend on something external. The more and more the happiness can be from within. You don't have to Scintillate your nerves to go to that let go sensation for some time to again go back with a tormented state. With that way, you can never enjoy the eternal happiness. The more you can enjoy the eternal happiness without any external help and without any interruption, the more pure it is. So the good and bad is just the difference in degree, not in kind. So that's the idea which has been spoken of here. That inner self, the yogi, he has understood that chasing after the pleasures of the world can give me no satisfaction. It will result in dissatisfaction. I will be in a, what you say, that treadmill. You will be running, but you won't be reaching any goal. It's the same place you're running. It's a hedonistic treadmill. So that's the idea which has been spoken of. That the, when, who is, who in this can, dive deep within the self that he and alone can discover the inner joy. So it is she, the scripture says, that is the inner self of the yogi who in self discovers all his joy. She, that of her own sweet will, inhabits every living thing. So that's the idea that it is the entire creation the entire creation is a projection from that ultimate reality. So it is the Brahman who has become the reality. Brahman Shakti is Abheda or identical. As the one, as the one who was beyond creation, when he finds expression as the creation, that is the Shakti, that is the expression of energy. Just as we give an example, an iron bar has no magnetic field. But when you can align all the dipoles in such a way that all the north poles are in one direction and the south poles are in one direction, immediately the energy that magnetism finds expression through it. So that's the idea that it's just with an example we're trying to understand. It is inherent. All the energy which we are seeing is inherent in Brahman. From that the creation has came out. So that's why it is she alone who has become the entire creation. She that of her own sweet will inhabits every living thing the macrocosm and the microcosm rest in the mother's womb. It's a, so this the entire creation, these ideas are so subtle. The, she is pervading the entire universe, the macrocosm, as well, she's pervading the, the minutest thing in the world. What's the idea? That in a minutest thing, it's not that only a part of her is there that she pervades the entire universe, but she pervades the entire universe in its entirety, in, its, in each and every particle. When suppose you say that the water is flowing, the river is flowing, you touch the water, you cannot touch the entire water, you're just touching a part of the water. 
But when you say that the macrocosm and the microcosm is in the mother's womb, it becomes very difficult to understand what it is saying that she's pervading into a thing, but she's also in her entirety in a small thing. Well, you can understand it if I give an example. Just say the electromagnetic radiation. These are all physical examples. Just to understand, I will never say that Brahman is electromagnetic radiation. Just with an example, we will try to say that it is possible. Just see that in the transmission center, our TV transmission center, it is transmitting the electromagnetic radiation waves. It is going everywhere throughout the world. But when you open your TV, is only a part of the information coming there. The entire information which has been transmitted, you are watching in your TV. So though the entire radiation is transmitting everywhere, but at each and every part, it is not coming as a part, it is coming as a whole. So though she pervades the entire universe, again, in her entirety, she is in each and every particle. So the macrocosm and the microcosm rest in the mother's womb. The macrocosm and the microcosm is built in the same plan. Even in the modern science, they say wonderful thing. That's the same thing. What they say, very interesting, that the world is anthropomorphic. That's what's that idea? That suppose you from a distance, you look at a cross. And now you try to find out with what the cross is made. And when you go near, you find the cross is made with a lot of dots. And you try to find out what those dots are. And you find that each dots are again small cross. Again, you try to find out what that each dot again is made up. You try to magnify, you find again that each dot has innumerable small cross. So the same thing is within that dot. And that's that which actually constitutes the entire cross. The cross is made of small cross and those small cross are made of small cross. The more you go inside is the same thing. When Swami Vivekananda was in Almora as a Parivraj, as a wandering monk, he had once, uh, one day he went into that tree still there. Under a tree, he sat for meditation and where he had this realization. The microcosm and the macrocosm is built in the same plan. If you know that how a sand particle is constituted, you can know the entire plan of the universe. Because it's the same plan. Even you will find it very interesting that just see in the atom what we say there is a nucleus around which the electrons are moving. Isn't it the same thing? The sun the, uh, is the star across which the planets are moving. The same thing is repeated everywhere. That's the thing which Einstein also indicated that the most incomprehensible fact of the universe is that it is comprehensible. That we are not supposed to in any way comprehend that what this universe is, it is impossible to understand such a huge universe. But we know that uh, the art of just projecting a rocket in such a way it can go and soft land on Mars. Why? The same gravitation law which works here, works there too. The world is in a rhythm. That's in a, that energy is not chaotic. It is rhythmic. From that, in Sanskrit, the, from, the, from the Sanskrit word rhythm, the English word rhythm has came. Rhythm speaks of that. The ultimate reality Om finds expression as Rim, the Shakti, and that Shakti is again not chaotic, just like an explosion to destroy. It is in a within a very wonderful balance. Everything is balanced. It is in a wonderful balance. Just you see, the nuclear bomb can destroy everything, but the same nuclear power, when you can uh, generate it through a controlled that a nuclear reactor, it can generate electricity. So when that controlled way, in a very, very controlled way, you can express that energy. That speaks of the rhythm. That speaks of creation. So that energy is not chaotic. It's not like an explosion. It's finding expression through in a controlled way, in a balanced way. And that's how the creation is possible. So that rhythm speaks of the same plan in the macrocosm and the microcosm. So the macrocosm and the microcosm rest in the mother's womb. So 
and then now do you see how vast it is in the muladhara the yogi meditates on her and in the sahasrara so after speaking of the mother pervading everywhere now he is coming to the microcosm how to realize her in this body so just in this one song so many ideas actually have been encapsulated the here it speaks of the this shara chakra the six chakras that mother resides in the six chakra muladhara swadhisthana manipura anahata vishuddha agya and shahasrara so it's in the through the spinal cord they say the six chakras are there it's something in our scriptures we find that this six chakras are mentioned which is in the subtle body what actually it speaks of swami vivekananda gave a very nice example by which we can understand that what's this rising of the kundalini is that within the body the kundalini when we uh, start progressing spiritually the the kundalini starts through the, the spinal cord from the base of the spinal cord it starts moving up so what's that there's there is a nadi called shushumna so swami vivekananda is giving a nice example i have never seen that anywhere he says that when at present when i will something that will has to be converted into action for which i have to use my hands or my feet i have to use my organs of action isn't it karmendriyas why my will is getting converted into nerve impulse like an electric current it is coming to the organs of action the muscles are getting contracted by that nervous current and all the our motions are possible but can i move a just a chair just by my thought impossible why it is not possible because my mind is not that strong it do generates nervous current which is something equivalent to the electric current which can pass only through the nerves just the way electricity passes through the wire can i think of electricity passing just without the help of any wire you may say no but yes it is possible swami vivekananda in his day uh, knew that uh, idea that the thunderbolt is nothing but electricity it was already discovered that it is electricity and swami ji in one of his lecture he is very saying nicely that when there is thunder there's an arc of the thunderbolt is formed the from the sky to the ground do the, the, the is there any need of any wire the electricity is being transmitted in the sky and it comes and reaches the earth without any wire how is it possible because it's an extremely tremendous high voltage that such a high voltage even in cathode ray tubes we have done that experiment in school that from the cathode to the anode without the need of any wire the electrons are traveling because of very high voltage so similarly by contemplation when the mind's thought processes becomes very intense then the shushumna dwara which passes through the spine that opens up it is not ordinary nerve it is something like vacuum in biology they call it central canalis it has no nervous no nerve system there it carries the nutrients it has nothing to do with the nervous flow but in the yogic scripture this that opens up it becomes like a this a tube vacuum tube through which the nervous current starts moving up and all these shara chakras are layer after layer is just being stacked on this shushumna and they start opening up opening up the spiritual uh domain one by one the lower three actually has is some some is are the chakras where our mind dwells it is the muladhara swadhisthana and manipura that for procreation for having food and for excretion all these things these three chakras are activated but through spiritual practices when we are we have subdued our senses and at the same time our mind has become intense the the mind becomes strong enough for the kundalini to rise so that just like that volt this current passing without any wire 
it rises up through the uh, shushumna. It goes to the heart center, which is the anahata. For the first time, you experience the bliss. And when it reaches the heart, when it reaches the uh, this vishuddha chakra in the throat, you feel like speaking of the divine, hearing of the divine truth. When it reaches the agya, then the illumination, the visualizations become very, very uh, prominent. And at last it speaks, it, when it goes to the sahasrara, that speaks of the identification with the, your reality. So here you will find in the song, he's saying that when the yogi is meditating on her, how the kundalini gets activated, it starts rising, ultimately taking to that realization. So that now do you see how vast it is? She's everywhere. And again, in this body, it is from the muladhara to the sahasrara, through the yogi, through meditation, can realize her by the rising of the kundalini in this body. But who Shiva has beheld her as she really is? But who but Shiva? So when the Shakti again gets identified with Shiva, when the phenomenal, when the mind falls off, the phenomenal existence becomes one with the noumenon. When the prism, you remove the prism, the spectrum merges with the white light again. Then only white light can know the spectrum, no one else. Shiva is like the white light and the spectrum is like the Shakti, the energy, the expression. It is the mind through the cosmic mind. The Brahman is finding expression as the Shakti. So who can know? It is only the white light. It's, it, it finds expression as a spectrum. So it is only she who knows. It's because when you re- get rid of the mind, it is the Shakti gets again identified with the Shiva. It is the thing with which you are identified. That's your nature. You know that. Just there's a very nice joke when Swami Vivekananda was in the West. Suddenly he developed a tremendous passion to uh, learn this uh, sketch drawing art. For hours he used to spend to make some portraits. And someone told Swamiji that that the tremendous, uh, this, this, uh, this, the passion which you have for the art, this art, if I had for my spiritual life, I would have been illumined. And Swamiji's reply was something very interesting. He told, we always are passionate about the thing which we don't have. I am already established in spirituality, so that I don't need to be passionate about it. It is my nature. Art, I don't know, so I'm passionate about it. For you, the one who told him is was the one who was teach, uh, teaching in this mod stump. She was teaching this painting to Swamiji. So she told, if I have the passion, uh, if I had passion for the spirituality, I would have realized, and he told, it's true. For you, the art is something natural. It is your nature. You don't have to practice it. But spirituality, for that you have to endeavor. So what's it? The thing with which you're identified, that you don't have to endeavor to know. You're one with it. So that's why that's who can uh, know the Shakti apart from Shiva? Because Shiva and Shakti are identical. Just as Sri Ramakrishna is to give a very nice example, a snake when it is coiled, it is just lying motionless coil. It's the same snake when it is moving around or when it has raised its hood. The same snake. So when it is coiled, it is as if like Brahman. When it is moving around, it has raised its root. It is the expression of the Shakti. They are the one and the same. So it is, uh, they, as they are one and the same. So the question of knowing in totality uh, is possible only for the one who is, identif- who is identified with the other thing, which we are ex- finding expression as an other thing. Actually, it is the same thing. So that's why it is only Shiva. He can know her, no one else, but who but Shiva has beheld her as she really is. Within the lotus wilderness, she sports beside her mate, the swan. So now, very nice, and this song is very nice, that when your kundalini has roused because of your intense spiritual practice to the heart center, that's where the spiritual journey starts. Below that, the three centers are for the all ordinary human being. So when it is reached there, then 
is a communion. It is not total merging with the absolute. The absolute is something different. You are something different. And there's a question of communion, which gives the sense of bliss. That you are with your mind, still you are with your mind. And you are relating to the object of your meditation through that uh, process of meditation. And from that, the bliss is emanating. So here we find that the question of communion, the sporting is uh, uh, relevant. And that's why it's being it's indicated within the lotus of your heart. She sports besides her mate, the swan. So Shiva is the swan. With her, she is sporting. The communion starts to result in identification when it goes to the Sahasrara. So the spiritual journey starts here. So in the lotus of the heart, when man aspires to understand her, Ram Prashad must smile. That why is he smiling? That union cannot be comprehended intellectually, but it can be felt. So he's smiling because you can never understand her. Though you can realize her, as Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that if I ask you, what's the taste of clarified butter? Can you explain? You know what it is, but you can never explain. Anything which is beyond attributes, you cannot explain, though you can experience. So that's why Ramprasad is smiling, that you can never, you can be one with her, but you can never as such explain her, understand her. So when man aspires to understand, uh, understand her, Ram Prashad must smile to think of knowing her, he says, is quite as laughable as to imagine one can swim across the boundless sea. But while my mind can has understood, alas, my heart has not. So intellectually, we understand that the subject can never be known. But like but somehow we always are, why, why, what's the, it's because of the delusion, the joy is emanating from within, that with that I'm identified, but I'm, I'm always in search of it outside. As the scripture gives the example of a deer, when the deer with the mask in its navel, the fragrance makes it mad. It Go, it runs throughout the forest in search of that the source of fragrance. At last it gets exhausted and it dies, never knowing that the source of the fragrance is in its own navel. So here also, that when you're trying to understand intellectually, it is like running of the deer to find out the source. It is within. You can just become identified with it, but you can never as such know it. So that's why Ram Prashad is saying that Ramprasad smiles. So to imagine one can swim across the boundless sea. But while my mind has understood, though with the mind I can understand that it is something which is beyond my comprehension. But something within me constantly is luring me to uh, understand that, to find that this eternal search is going on. We, we, that's the example which we give, that the bird sitting on the mast is growing on the uh, first going on the east, flying on the east, west. So like that, our attempt goes on. We go on trying. We go on trying. For that, he's saying that, he, that it is something laughable. It is not that way. We can never know him. It is only by that surrender. So now we'll find that why, after speaking of surrender, he's singing this song. The idea of surrender is here. That at last, you have to go beyond all this attempt of knowing her to just simply resign and then you become identified with her and <clears throat> that the grace starts working through your life and you just become what you are. You become one with that reality. So that's being indicated in this song. <clears throat> Though but a dwarf, it still would strive to make a captive of the moon. This is all our attempt to comprehend the ultimate reality through our mind is Ramprasad is giving the example that it is like a dwarf trying to get hold of the moon. So it is not possible. So, but this attempt is in a way good that at last this will bring that sense of surrender when you won't try to understand him, but you will be one with him by totally surrendering uh, to the divine. 
and then allow the grace to work through your life. So continuing the master said, did you notice the macrocosm and the microcosm rest in the mother's womb? Now, do you see how vast it is? So he's just to pinpoint the words which has been spoken of in the song. He's repeating those lines. The macrocosm and the microcosm rest in the mother's womb. Do you see? Now, do you see how vast it is? Again, the poet says, even the six darshanas are powerless to reveal her. She cannot be realized by means of mere scholarship. One must have, have faith and love. Let me tell you how powerful faith is. A man was about to cross the sea from Ceylon to India, Sri Lanka to India. Bibhishana said to him, tie this thing in a corner of your wearing cloth and you will cross the sea safely. You will be able to walk on the water, but be sure not to examine it or you will sink. The man was walking easily on the water of the sea. Such is the strength of faith. When having gone part of the way, he thought, what is this wonderful thing Bibishana has given me that I can walk even on the water? He untied the knot and found only a leaf with the name of Rama written on it. Oh, just this, he thought, and instantly he sank. So, this, here with this example, Sri Ramakrishna is speaking of the importance of faith in spiritual journey. How faith is important? Just, we will give two examples. A person, have a, a learned person, he says that all these uh, spiritual truths, unless you can explain me that what's the science behind this practice and all, I, can, I won't adopt it. And he has to go through a lot of reasoning at last to understand a very interesting thing. What's that interesting thing? That go through the, all the religious traditions, what you will find that there are some prayers or something which are repeated. Repetition is something common in all the traditions. We do it either through the process of prayer or through the process of meditation. That repetition at last takes us to a, uh, a state of flow. With a will, I am repeating something. Every day I am doing the same thing. And then it is one of the characteristics of the mind that what you do repeatedly, it creates a path. And once the path is created, just doing it gives joy. So the flow ensues when by practice, a path has been formed in your mind. And the, once you get joy in it, that because of that, the, the more you practice, the more the path gets broadened, the more intense is your joy. And the more that joy is by being focused on the object of your meditation, the world falls off. Then your sense that you are a body that falls off, your hunger, thirst, tiredness, everything falls off. You are in, in enjoying eternal bliss. And at last, the, all this object of your contemplation has absorbed your focus so much that your ego also falls off to make you one with the object of meditation. And then suddenly you find the moment the ego falls off, it takes you to that sense of non-locality, that noetic feeling. It's noetic. It's something you really feel, but you cannot explain that non-locality as if you are in the ocean of consciousness. And from there, when you come back, you are totally transformed. Very interesting. Now, the common thing is repetition. But what I am repeating, that is not common. All the faith have their own way of uh, what you say, that uh, prayers and their repetitions, all those things, the rituals, they have their own thing. That is a lot of variety. But the common thing is repetition. Now, what we told to, just now, from that, after a lot of understanding, we can understand, okay, this repetition can help. So I can resort to the repetition of anything that can take me to the spiritual realization. Anything, if I can do it really intent, intently, it can take me to that focus where even my ego falls off. 
it can take to that realization. So after understanding, you will start your spiritual journey. But a person, a common person who somehow has faith of what the scripture says, what a spiritually illumined soul says, this, he goes to that person and he says him that repeat this thing without going through all this intellectual uh, way of understanding. He starts. Don't you think from the day one he has started because the other person after understanding the way the mind works, he is going to start his spiritual journey from the square zero. He has to practice that intellectual understanding is in no way going to in any way take him to the spiritual realization. Now he has to resort to that reputation. And that person has started the reputation from day one without going through this. Now this process is the important thing, not what you intellectually was uh, comprehending, trying to comprehend. That has cleared your doubt, but at last you have to start with the practice from the day one. There's a very interesting story in the gospel in some other place that how faith is important. That a commoner, a person who was uh, totally illiterate, he went to a guru who had very learned disciples and told, please give me a mantra. And the guru thought he is such an ordinary person. He has no uh, learning. So jokingly, he uttered some meaningless word and told, go on repeating it. He took it seriously. He was, a, he was a common person, but a man of full faith. That word which had no meaning, he went on repeating and that took him to the realization. It is a story. It is a thing which is told in the gospel. So this is a very, this faith can work wonders. You start from the day one. That's, that's why in, you know, in our uh, this, uh, colloquially, we say a very uh, a joke is very prevalent in Bengal that if you know music and go to the music teacher, you know the preliminaries of the music and go to the music teacher and ask him that I want to learn the music in a nice way, in a much uh, in an advanced music I want to learn. So how much fees I have to pay? So he says most probably monthly you have to pay $100. And the one who knows nothing of the music, he goes and the teacher says, you have to, I will, you have to pay only $10 per month. So the one who has to pay $100, he says, I already have the preliminary knowledge. Why are you charging me more? And the teacher says, first, I have to make you unlearn what you have learned. Because a, there is so much mistake in what you have learned. And you have to start again from the square zero. So this actually speaks of the so-called education which we have. We have to unlearn so many things to really understand the spiritual journey. We don't understand. That's why we go on hopping around. We start practicing something and then we find it is not helping me anyway. We jump to some other practice. We will find there are so many people goes on hopping from one practice to another. In the words of Ramakrishna, the peoples are just all curiosity mongers. mongers. They try to dig well in one place and after some time they find a rocky terrain, they stop, they start digging another place and they find it's full of sand. They stop and they go on changing the location. They never get water. The one who has that willpower to go on whatever the rock comes or sand comes, whatever it comes, I go on digging. He's the one who's going to get the water. So it is that faith which helps me to dive deep without going on, vacillating from practice to practice. So that's why you will find that where the importance of faith lies. The faith can work wonders. It can just uh, do the thing which we may find is impossible. It becomes possible just by the faith. By faith, we can actually, the entire nature will be conspiring to make the whatever you are aspiring for to make that something possible the entire nature will conspire so that faith is a very important thing in spiritual journey with sri ramakrishna i will be just speaking off for with few more examples i will just read out the next example and then uh, we will continue the discussion again in the next class there is a popular saying that Hanuman is a very interesting thing. So Ramakrishna is saying, 
<clears throat> there is a popular saying that Hanuman jumped over the sea through his faith in Rama's name, but Rama himself had to build a bridge. Rama, the god himself, had to create the build a bridge, but Hanumana, just by having faith in the name of Rama, jumped over Lanka. So these are the examples which speaks of faith. How faith can work wonders. It can. Uh, it's not actually working wonders. We have the potentiality. Faith makes that potentiality something. Uh, we, we can. It faith helps to realize that potentiality. If you read the life of Hanuman as a small child, the ch- children are very frivolous, always active. But as he had tremendous energy, that because of that he used to torment the saints who were meditating. Once thinking the sun to be a ripened fruit, he went to just eat it, and and that's how the monks cursed him. That he was just like a small child having fun and frolic, but it was creating disturbance for others. Though one of the saint cursed him, that till you grow up and really know the mission of your life, you will forget about your strength. And that's the story. That then Hanuman, when this Rama's mission came, his faith again invoked the potential. It just manifested the potential strength within him. So it is not something coming from outside. It is within. The faith opens up all the barriers which is not allowing to realize our potentiality. And that was what has happened with Hanuman. So we will just go on with the discussion again in the next class. We will start from here and go on with this discussion again in the next class. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskars.